From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Am I excited about the 12th of December? Not particularly. The time for protest is over. It's time for leadership. And that is what this government provides. In every town and village in this country, Labour will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing. People have a very clear choice. If they want Brexit, they can vote for Labour or the Conservatives or the Brexit Party. And if they want to stop Brexit, they need to vote for the Liberal Democrats. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. So, Seb, we have two days to go. Until, Is that it? Yeah, until oh. you and the rest of the team are going to be out in the cold we'll find and the something rain. else to do after that. Yeah. Boris Johnson trying to shift the attention, of course, away from the NHS back to getting Brexit done. How many times have I heard that slogan? Uh, but the row over the four-year-old Jack Willamont Barr, who was photographed receiving treatment on the floor of Leeds General Infirmary, has really dominated some political coverage at least. Uh, Yeah, potentially a last minute gift to Labour, sadly, given the circumstances of this. Mm. Uh, They're of course stepping up their attacks on the Prime Minister, the NHS being a key battleground for Jeremy Corbyn and his gang. Uh, At a rally in Bolton, he blames the Tories for starving the NHS of money. With 40,000 nurse vacancies, with many thousands of doctor vacancies, shortages of staff in every department because of underfunding, then there are going to be problems. Little boy found being treated on the floor of a hospital yesterday is just one of many examples. Yeah, it was a really horrible photograph, of course. But uh, meanwhile, the Prime Minister, Mr Johnson, is trying to turn back to his message around Brexit on, of course, the penultimate day of campaigning uh, with his plea to end the limbo. He was speaking at a rally last night. He attacked the Labour leader's stance on that issue. Jeremy Corbyn himself is going to be neutral on this deal. How can you be neutral? How can you be neutral on the fundamental question facing this country at the moment? You can't. So there we go. And you've got the Liberal Democrats as well saying they're the only party who've set out a credible plan for future prosperity. So that's where all the parties are stepping up. Uh, Let's bring in Edward Evans. He's our Brexit editor here at Bloomberg. Edward, let's start on that photo of the young boy. Uh, Mr Johnson coming under a lot of scrutiny. It's been absent from a lot of coverage, the likes of The Times, The Telegraph, The Daily Mail, The Express. They're turning away from it. Um, Is this going to uh, give Labour that, that last minute boost that, let's face it, they need? They need it. And the polls, latest polls show, show the race is beginning to tighten. And certainly what's happened, this photograph, it has been very helpful to the Labour Party. And even more helpful has been the extraordinary handling, the way that the Tories have handled this. Johnson first refusing to look at the photograph, then the farce over the aide who may or may not, or in fact wasn't punched in the end. Mm. And then Matt Hancock dispatched to apologise to everyone uh, from the hospital. I think, you know, this is, you know, health is a key battleground in this election. It's very strong ground for Labour. 
Uh, they know they can put the Tories on the back foot for years of austerity and they want to get back to that core message in the days before polling day and that's where we're at at this campaign. OK, so do, do you think that it's enlightening? I mean, is this actually, I'm wondering, a battle around the, um, the, the personalities of the two leaders or is this an issues-based campaign? Because obviously, yes, everybody saw Mr Johnson kind of squirming and taking the reporter's uh, phone to try to avoid looking at, at this photograph because the whole thing was filmed it was it was worse um but but is this actually enlightening do you think for for voters i think it will reinforce the messages that have already been out there i think you know health is of after brexit health is one of the key issues for voters in this campaign there are deep concerns over um what how spending cuts have affected the nhs we all about waiting lists and we've all been to hospitals and seen um some of the time the, the, the lengths of the queues you have to wait for so i think this is re this really will reinforce those the, the, those images the, the, the among voters as they go to the polls on thursday and it's worth bearing in mind as well that while we're calling this a brexit election and in many senses it is not everybody has brexit as their number one issue there are people who care about other things believe it or not uh, but let's bring it back to the matt Hon hancock situation this next development just explain what happened because there was a lot of confusion there's a lot of messaging going around on twitter that wasn't entirely clear this is about whether the aid was punched. Yeah, whether yeah. I mean, this is this is bizarre because the Tory sources briefing that somebody um, had been punched and then it turned out he wasn't. I mean, what's happened here is you're seeing a really quite clumsy, what well, might be quite clumsy attempt to divert attention. Mm. You've got what may or may not have been a, a claim about the aid. Then this morning we get the comments about funding for the BBC, where the Tories have threatened to pull funding yes. for the BBC, which, and if you look at the morning papers this morning, you can see right down the line, you've got The Guardian and the left wing press on one hand running with um, the story of the photograph in the NHS and on the other side some of the more right wing inclined papers running with the story of the BBC. Mm. So you've got this deflection, deflection, deflection from what has been you know, a very serious setback, potentially very serious setback for his campaign. Mm. Okay, what about then the message that uh, you're saying that we will hear from Boris Johnson later today, he's got a rally this evening uh, and he's uh, also touring uh, the north of England this afternoon. Tactical voting, this idea of clear and present danger the Tories sort of trying um, to make sure that people turn up at the polls that nobody gets too comfortable as you say that the polls do look as if they're narrowing a little bit hung parliament is still within the margin mm. of error just and you know for, for Johnson the big risk here is complacency amongst his supporters that they don't turn out on polling day and don't vote for him the problem for those who are pushing for tactical voting to stop the Tories getting it it's really about remain and it's about stopping Brexit and the problem they've got is that they haven't got an agreement between Labour and the Liberal Democrats over which candidates to back so although you're seeing a lot of noise by these voting uh, intention websites uh, by people like Michael Heseltine by even Alistair Campbell I think coming out saying you've tried vote tactically it's very hard to see how that place through in the actual result historically it hasn't really it's played really not more than a marginal role mm. in general elections but it'd be really interesting uh, in the next few days and hours to see if Brexit has changed that and if that's put enough voters in play for the first time at a, a so general election. So my stock response to this is, isn't this not something new? We've had first past the post for a long time and that's really what's demanding tactical voting. It's not the particular parties at play, it's the system. No, what's changed this time is the issue. I think right. before this is, you know, this has given you a goal in to stop Brexit 
and you then have to work the, 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 the voting system to deliver that goal. The problem is that the two instruments to deliver that goal, the two opposition parties, Labour and the Liberal Democrats, they can't agree or haven't agreed on how to deliver Brexit. They haven't delivered an election pact between them and they risk splitting but the vote. The mechanism is still the same because a Brexit vote or a vote against Brexit is a keep the Tories out vote and people have been doing that forever. People have been trying to do that forever. Um, but the question is whether Brexit at this point will change, will, will tip enough people and pull right, enough, okay, separate enough alliances. Mm. I think, you know, you've got to understand that, you know, in the southeast of England, there are a lot of Tory, moderate Tory voters out there who are deeply unhappy with Brexit. They true. don't like what Boris Johnson is doing. They don't like the tone of it. And they want that they're, they're, they're in the market for an alternative right now. Mm. We'll see if that comes true, if that materialises on Thursday. OK, so then let's talk through uh, the, the Brexit issue then, because I suppose one of the other things that we've seen in, in recent uh, days is this sort of push to look beyond the election, you know, to to talk about Brexit and getting uh, Brexit done. Northern Ireland now and the issue of border checks has has sort of appeared again, that Sinn Féin criticising the DUP's Arlene Foster for saying that she's concerned about checks on goods between the mainland and Northern Ireland, and then Jeremy Corbyn on Friday with some uh, sort of more revelations around the impact of Brexit on the region. I mean, Northern Ireland is is also going to be really, really key potentially in the weeks after this election. Indeed. And I think you know, what we, you know, Johnson's slogan, you know, this will end, get Brexit done, couldn't really be further from the reality and that mm. we've got to go into a year of trade talks, a year of negotiations uh, with the EU. And yes, you know, Northern Ireland is key to that because, of course, Johnson's di- the big difference with Johnson's deal versus his predecessor's deal is we're out of the customs union. There therefore has to be a, a solution uh, to keeping the border open with Northern Ireland. Now, Johnson says there will not be uh, checks between Britain and Northern Ireland. He's adamant about that. But the question, of course, is how do you define checks? And mm. it's clear that there will have to be some form of checks at some point, not clear where or how those will take, between goods going between the mainland and Northern Ireland. Look, isn't this just a fudge? I mean, it's a fudge around language that is very frustrating. Yes, of course it is. I mean, Johnson is is stretching the elastic of language (laughs) to, to, to breaking point on that quite clearly. And isn't this going to burn the Conservatives down the line? If Boris Johnson wins, if he manages to pass the the Brexit bill, then we're into territory where these talks, of course, continue on an international scale. A lot of people aren't even aware of this. And these are the get Brexit done types who think it's easy because they've been told it's easy. This is the narrative we've heard coming from Brexiteers since the vote as well. You know, think of David Davis, the easiest trade deal ever. It's, it, it's something that's really been parroted a lot. Uh, on one level, it is the easiest trade deal ever in that you, you, they, they are coming from the same place as the EU, the major partner right now. The problem and is Johnson's strap hope of diverging from, from the EU. And that's where the trade deal gets really difficult. I think you know, if the election happens and the Tories get a majority, the principle of Brexit is decided. The next 12 months will be determining the form of Brexit. Mm-hmm. And there there is a tension between those at the at one end of the Tory party who want to turn Britain into some kind of Singapore on Thames, low mm. tax, low regulation world, and those who want to hew much more closely to the EU. And the, you'll see that tension played out in those trade talks because the moment Britain tries to take some kind of advantage over the EU on that, you can expect the EU to try and clamp down extremely quickly. So do you this think, isn't over. Do you think Johnson will just capitulate then? 
it's very possible that he may have to capitulate in those talks. But again, those are a long way away right now. We've got yeah. an election on Thursday to go through. No, absolutely. But I suppose the question also is is about the negotiations. You know, this idea that um, any new administration can get a trade negotiation done in 11 months. Surely that is also highly unrealistic. Well, have a look at previous trade negotiations. Yeah. I mean, Mercosur is 20 years plus and they still haven't quite signed it. Others have taken between anywhere between five and nine years to do it. It's some form of extension to the that transition period looks likely um, but unless the unless uh, Johnson or whichever administration capitulates and goes for something much closer to the, what the current relationship with the EU looks like. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Indeed. Uh, and this is all about the Whitehall shakeup. So uh, Boris Johnson planning to mix things up in Whitehall if he wins the election. The FT reporting that the Prime Minister is planning to fold the Department of International Development into the Foreign Office. He's expected to stage a big shakeup and hold a substantial cabinet reshuffle after Briggs, uh, Britain's planned departure from the EU on the 31st of January. So some interesting reporting from the Financial Times. Yeah, and no doubt to Dominic Cummings' influence here, who, of course, is no fan of the civil service in its current state. Uh, we also got some economic data, didn't we? The GDP unexpectedly stagnating in October. This marks now three straight months without growth for the first time since 2009. That is a decade for those of you who can subtract the number 10 <laughs> from another number. Uh, it was unchanged following two consecutive months of decline, uh, according to ONS data. Economists had forecast 0.1% of an expansion, uh, and we saw GDP rising just 0.7% from a year earlier. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, we're really being dragged down by construction, by Brexit uncertainty. Uh, and there's even some stockpiling going on uh, f- by businesses ahead of the new Brexit deadline. Uh, but then let's end on this one, of course, the Bloomberg poll of polls ahead of the election on Thursday. So the Conservatives are uh, on 44 percent, Labour on 32 percent. And then the other parties, Liberal Democrats on 12 percent, the Brexit Party, 3 percent, SNP, 4 percent and the Greens on 3 percent. So uh, we're talking Taking a 12 percentage point lead on average of the Tories over Labour. Brilliant. Well, let's continue that discussion. Joining us now, Tom Brake, the Liberal Democrat spokesperson on Brexit and a parliamentary candidate as well. Thank you very much for joining us, Tom. Let's start with uh, the situation surrounding the Liberal Democrats. We talked a little bit about tactical voting uh, earlier in the programme. Are you, I mean, there were some who would say that you're putting party before country here by not pulling candidates and Labour marginals, the issue being that if you want to stop Brexit, as your slogan goes, this is not the way to go about it? Well, the problem with that argument is that Labour are not a Remain party. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn has not been willing to state what his position is. But they're advocating a second vote. Well, but they're advocating a second vote in which Jeremy Corbyn uh, may well, in fact, end up advocating for his version of Brexit. So, but, but why is that relevant when it gets you to where you want to be? Your your pledge as well is for a second vote. Well, we 
want to get as many Liberal Democrats elected as possible because we know that those those MPs, if elected, they will fight against Brexit without any uh, uncertainty about whether, in fact, they might end up campaigning for Brexit, which is what uh, Labour MPs could end up doing mm. uh, if Jeremy Corbyn gets his but way. H- how is that remotely helpful if you then end up with a Tory majority who can push Brexit through? Your voice then isn't as powerful as it otherwise could be. Well, our voice will be powerful if we get more Liberal Democrat MPs elected, and that is what we're fighting to do. And, of course, we are in a position to defeat Conservative uh, candidates, whereas there is no evidence that Labour are in a position to do that. There are many seats around the country, uh, whether it's Cheltenham, Eastern Walton, uh, Wimbledon, uh, where the Liberal Democrats are in contention with the Conservatives, and we can beat them. Okay, Tom, how, what is the reaction on the doorstep to the message of uh, of annulling, cancelling uh, Brexit? Is are you finding that popular? That there there has always been concern, of course, amongst um, the population that it would that it is undemocratic. What what is the feeling on the doorstep from people that you are speaking to? Well, uh, I think first of all, the portrayal of of it in the way you've just described it mm. is inaccurate because we're not cancelling Brexit. What we would be doing is we. If there were a Liberal Democrat majority in the next parliament, uh, then uh, we yes, we would stop Brexit, but we would take that. I mean, first of all, that would be the biggest swing in our parliamentary history. Uh, as a party, we have campaigned very openly to stop Brexit. It would be strange if in a general election we saw a massive swing to us and we then didn't implement what people had just voted for. So I would say that general elections are very democratic and the outcome of general elections is what this country uh, normally determines its policies on. And how many seats do you think that the Liberal Democrats <clears throat> excuse me, can win? Joe Swinton started out incredibly ambitiously, I'd say, for, for the Lib Dems, hoping to win 100 seats. That looks very, very unlikely now, don't you think? Well, we are in second position in over 100 seats and uh, overwhelmingly second position to the Conservatives. We are confident that because of the uh, very effective campaigning we're doing on the ground, which is not reflected in the national opinion polls, that we are challenging the Conservatives, including uh, in seats like Eastern Walton, where the the current incumbent Tory is sitting on a majority of over 20,000. We are challenging the Tories all over the country, and, and we are best placed to stop Boris Johnson getting majority, because what Boris Johnson wants to do with his majority, and he's now made that very clear, uh, is, uh, frankly, take us out of the European Union after December 2020 without any deal right. at all. Right. And, Tom, you say you're in second place in many places, but that could still translate to zero seats. That necessarily mean you're going to win them. Um, what, what I wonder here is whether you regret calling this election at all with the benefit of hindsight, given the level of polling and the squeeze you've seen throughout the whole of the campaign that shows no signs of letting up. No, we don't regret it because it was going to be inevitable, I think, probably uh, following an agreement between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, uh, that we would eventually have uh, got seen Boris Johnson's deal go through Parliament with Jeremy Corbyn's agreement, and then we would have had Brexit anyway. So uh, a general election and the possibility of Liberal Democrats defeating Boris Johnson, stopping him getting a majority by winning seats off the Conservatives, that is the best way of now... Uh, implementing our plans for a referendum so that people can choose whether they want, say, a Boris Johnson Brexit, which includes redrafting or moving the UK border to put it in the Irish Sea, or whether they prefer to stay in the European Union. But Tom, your plan's backfired, hasn't it? Because you're aiming to revoke Brexit, that you've backtracked on. You had a very presidential-style campaign, and then uh, Joe Swinson's favourability ratings dipped quite drastically. It's just not gone your way. 
Well, uh, let's wait and see. The, the election hasn't actually happened yet, and uh, I'm confident that uh, uh, on the back of the very effective campaigning we're doing locally, particularly against some of the most prominent conservative Brexiteers, that uh, on, uh, mon- on Friday morning, uh, many seats in the country will wake up perhaps to a surprise uh, in the shape of a Liberal Democrat member of Parliament. Yeah, no, absolutely. The the, the, the polling uh, is notoriously difficult, so I take your point. Um, but if, uh, for example, Mr Corbyn does <clears throat> end up being able to lead, let's say, you know, a, a minority government, if there is a hung parliament, for example, would the Liberal Democrats actually enter into a coalition with Labour if indeed the, the Conservatives don't get that majority, which does look very close? Well, I've lost track of how many times both I and Joe Swinson have made it absolutely clear there's mm-hmm. not going to be a coalition with Jeremy Corbyn. There's not going to be a, po- a coalition with Boris Johnson. Neither of them are fit to be our Prime Minister. And if there's not going to be a coalition with Jeremy Corbyn, will there be a coalition with somebody else at the helm of Labour? Because there are speculations around that Corbyn could be reaching the end of his tenure. Well, the, the problem with that is that the people around Jeremy Corbyn and the people most likely uh, to emerge are people in a very similar mould to Jeremy Corbyn. What about so someone like that... Emily Thornbury or Keir Starmer, who's perhaps not well, quite in that mould? I, I don't think that is who Jeremy Corbyn is uh, sort of nurturing to take over no. from him. So as a party, what we will say and what we will do is what we've always done as an opposition party is that if parties of government have come forward with bills that we support... <clears throat> And, of course, we're not going to vote against them if we actually support them. Um, So it may be that a minority government uh, might come forward with a bill, for instance, which invests the £7 billion a year extra in the NHS, which the Liberal Democrats are pressing for, or says it wants to introduce uh, 20,000 new uh, nurses or 20,000 new uh, police officers, then, of course, we'd support that because that is Liberal Democrat policy. What about the step in between? Not a coalition, not case by case, but some sort of confidence supply agreement? No, I can't see that happening. Uh, we don't have any appetite for that, and certainly not with Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn. OK, uh, so look, we're talking about the future of, of Mr Corbyn. What about the future of Joe Swinson? At what point uh, would the Liberal Democrats seek a new leader? What is the kind of benchmark here uh, in terms of uh, Joe Swinson's uh, success or failure in the election? I think that Joe has performed incredibly well in the debates where she has been uh, not squeezed out by the BBC or ITV. Uh, and I am absolutely confident that if she were our Prime Minister, she'd do a far better job uh, than Boris Johnson, who frankly is completely untrustworthy, uh, or Jeremy Corbyn, who is making promises from a, a policy point of view that he can never but how, deliver. But hang on, Ms. Swinson's also been, um, you know, who knows, let's see what happens on Thursday. But at the moment, it looks like highly unrealistic in terms of her forecasting of where she thinks the party could be and how she sees the Liberal Democrats going forward. So that that surely counts against her. Well, I, I think at, that, at the point uh, when our poll ratings were, for instance, higher than Labour's, it wasn't unrealistic uh, to assume that we we're going to do very well in the election. I think we can still do that. And as I said, uh, I think the activity that we've got at grassroots level, which is never picked up by those national polls, uh, will lead to us doing far better I would argue, than is uh, likely to be suggested by those national polls. I've got to point you also to Joe Swinson's favourability ratings. I mentioned them briefly earlier. I've got a panel-based poll here. It's just shown them crash throughout the campaign from minus 12 in October to minus 21 two weeks ago, currently at minus 30%. Have, Have you picked the wrong leader here? 
Well, it's not surprising that, for instance, for people who voted to, to, to leave the EU, that um, Joe Swinson is not entirely popular with them. But it's also not surprising, it is very common, uh, as party leaders become better known, that people start to polarise their, their views on the party leader, with more people being in favour of them and more people being against them. So I don't think anything unexpected has happened as Joe's profile is raised. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.